My name is Paul Riley, also known as Political Paul, and this is The Riley Rant, a weekly podcast where we discuss all things political, professional, and personal. Let's rant. Thank you for tuning in to the 26th official episode of The Riley Rant. As was noted in the intro, we discuss all things political, professional, and personal. And this week, I want to talk to you all about a topic that's centered on the personal with an episode entitled, Are You Set for Your Next Move? As you think about being set for your next move, you first have to have a better understanding of what SET stands for. SET is an acronym that I want to share with you all today that I think will be helpful and invaluable in helping us to make those decisions in life, both big and small, those decisions that are impacting not only our personal lives, but our careers and our love lives. And so I hope that you will gain something from this episode again on how you're going to set yourself up for success in any decisions that you make going forward. So when thinking about that acronym of SET, S-E-T, I want to first share what the S stands for. In this framework, the S stands for slowing down. So when you make a decision in life, whether big or small, whether in personal or professional or in your love life, you first have to slow down. And this idea of slowing down is not unique to me. I didn't create this idea. I didn't come up with this uh, philosophy. It's actually one that's been spelled out over the course of history, particularly in the Bible. I don't know if you all are Uh, Christians or if you read the Bible or if you've attended worship services, but one aspect of the Bible, one teaching that is covered a lot, at least for me growing up, was Psalms 46. And in Psalms 46, it was talking about the importance of being still. In this passage, it talks about how even when the earth is giving way and the mountains are falling into the heart of the sea, and even when the waters are roaring and foaming, and even when the mountains are quaking and surging, and when nations are in uproar and when kingdoms fall, Be still and know that I am God. And so that's a big teaching in Christian faith, this importance of no matter what is going on around you, no matter what you're seeing in front of you, the distractions, the dysfunction, the disruptions, you have to be still, you have to be confident, and you have to be okay with understanding that God's going to take care of it and God's going to protect you. But outside of religious teachings and and faith, we see this idea of being still and of slowing down in our corporate environments. If you look at Business Insider or Harvard Business Review or whichever publications you enjoy reading, you'll see as of late stories coming out about the importance of meditation. I did a Google search and there are a number of articles around these top executives talk about the importance of meditating or 11 rising entrepreneurs who understand the value and the importance of meditating. And we also see in Silicon Valley at least, the emergence of companies like Headspace, apps that are created that will allow you to curate meditation packages and playlists to suit your needs. So maybe you need a 10-minute morning meditation, whereas this person needs an hour-long afternoon session. To my understanding, they curate these packages and they give you different foundational templates that you can work from to get into the business of meditating and of centering yourself and of remaining at peace with who you are and understanding who you are from the inside out. So this idea of being still and slowing down, it's been taught in the Bible, it's been taught in meditation curriculum through apps like Headspace, and it's really an important thing that we all have to incorporate into our lives, especially when we're going to make those big decisions and the small ones. And so in September, I gave on Facebook and Instagram a post about the importance of being still, of trusting your journey. And it was actually centered on a story uh, that I shared about how I visited my hometown of Philadelphia 
and how I was actually in the process of making a trip up to New York to visit some friends. And so if you're not familiar with Philadelphia and New Jersey transportation systems, if you want to get to New York on a local train, you have to first get on the SEPTA train, which is Philly's local transportation system. You have to get on SEPTA, which will take you from Philly to Trenton. Once you get to Trenton, you then hop on the New Jersey Transit, and from there you can take a train from Trenton, New Jersey to New York City. And so that's one of the tried and true ways to get to New York. You can also try the Megabus, um, the bus service that'll take you to New York from Philadelphia. You can do Amtrak if you have a couple extra dollars and take a direct route there. But on this day, I decided to take my trip via local transit. And so I looked on Google Maps and Apple Maps and I tried to figure out my itinerary, what time I would have to get to the train station, how long I would have to wait once I got to Trenton to get on the next train. And I had this all planned out. And so I'm rushing, I barely make the train at the Philadelphia station. And so I arrive at Trenton at my designated time. I'm on the platform. And according to my itinerary that, you know, Apple and Google Maps instructed me, I had to sit at that station for about 30 minutes and my next train would pick me up and take me to New York. While I'm sitting at Trenton Station on the platform, I realize as I'm looking at the monitors that there's a, a flashing sort of warning sign saying, you know, alert train to New York departing now. And so I'm freaking out. I'm like, oh, I thought my train wasn't leaving for 30 minutes. Why did Apple and Google Maps tell me to take this train that was going to be leaving 30 minutes later when there was already a train that will be leaving five minutes after I arrived at the station? So I'm thinking I caught a break. I'm running to the kiosk to print out my ticket. I swipe my card. Of course, nothing's working. So I'm trying to jam my card into the system. It finally goes through. And I get my ticket printed out and I jump on the train again, cutting it close. I get on the train and as soon as I get on the train, the train starts moving. So at this point, I'm so excited. I'm like, wow, I caught a break. I'll be sitting on that platform for 25, 30 minutes. I cut that time by 20, 25 minutes. I'm now moving forward onto my destination to New York. I'm so excited. I text my friend. I'm like, yo, look, I'm going to be there much earlier than I thought. I got an earlier train and I'm so excited at this point. And so I get comfortable. I have my Spotify playlist going and I say, you know what? Let me just see how far in advance I want to arrive at the station compared to my other plan. Like, let me just see how much earlier I'm going to arrive at the station as opposed to if I waited that additional 25 minutes for that second train. And it was then that I realized the big mistake that I had made. In my desire to quickly get on that train, in my inability to slow down and really assess the situation, I jumped at what was right in front of me and ended up on a train that turned out to be a local train and would get me to my destination later than the express train that I was set to get on 20 to 25 minutes later. And so that example is one of the reasons why we have to be comfortable slowing down. We have to be comfortable remaining still when we make a plan because if you sometimes go about acting on your impulses alone, you can overlook key facts that can ultimately put you in a worse predicament. But what Psalms 46 and Headspace and others are getting at is how do you get to a place where you can center yourself and put those distractions and those external factors into perspective so they don't throw you off course or off the path that you have for yourself or cause you to settle for a quick fix that may not benefit you in the long run. So had I slowed down, really thought through the situation, if I had slowed down and actually read the monitor and saw that it listed every station in between Trenton and New York, maybe I could have put two and two together to say, wait a minute, this train is leaving you know, right now, but it looks like it's stopping at every stop. Do I really want to get on this train? Had I had that clarity to calm down, to slow down, and to really remain content with the plan that I have for myself and to not get distracted, who knows, I could have gotten to my destination earlier than I would have had I not been rushing. And so that's a lesson for us initially before you make a comment, before you send a text or an email, before you make that decision, before you hop on that train, first slow down 
as a few extra seconds, a few extra minutes, or even a few extra hours can save you a lot of heartache and regret in the long run. And granted, getting on a later train, that's not the end of the world. But what happens when you end up in a predicament where the consequences are more severe, where if you make that comment in the heat of the moment, if you don't slow down and think, you can damage a relationship for a lifetime. Or if you don't take a moment to hit reply to that email, to that coworker that annoyed you, that that can save you from having to have a conversation with HR or from putting your job in jeopardy as you now have said something that you, you didn't mean. So that's the important value in that first part of that set framework. In order for you to be set for your next move, you first have to slow down. You first have to be still and be prepared to not jump at your impulses, to not settle for the quick fix, the gut reaction of, I want to hurt you just as much as you hurt me, or I want to get there as fast as possible, get that quick fix now. Instead of settling for those things, if you slow down and really step back, who knows what you can accomplish through moving on to that second aspect of the the set framework, which is evaluating the situation. So after you've done S, slow down, you have to E, evaluate the situation. And that's why it's so important to slow down and to be still. Because when you slow down and when you are still, it will give you time to evaluate the decisions you're about to make or the actions you're about to take. As I mentioned before, if I had slowed down and evaluated the entire screen, I could have caught on to the fact that the train was stopping at every station. But evaluating situations can honestly be one of the hardest things for us all to do. If you've been following the Riley rant, you know that I talk about in previous episodes how we all are terrible as humans at assessing situations and our odds in certain situations. When we look at the election uh, with Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, you know, people saw, oh, Hillary Clinton has a 70 percent chance of winning and Donald Trump has a 30 percent chance of winning. And we assume that that 70 percent chance of winning for Hillary meant that she was going to win uh, when, in fact, 30 percent odds, which are the odds that Donald Trump had, they're not terrible odds. That's a one in three chance. That's not as far-fetched as one would think. But that lesson in that 2016 election revealed to us that we are terrible at assessing odds. But that psychology also informs us, and I've talked about this in previous episodes as well, you know, that we as individuals are terrible at objectively evaluating situations. Studies have found that we think that we're smarter than others, we think that we're more attractive, we think we're better drivers, and that we oftentimes overestimate success and underestimate failures. And so for these reasons, we have to address some hard truths in the evaluation stage for us to be effective at evaluating the feelings that we're feeling after we've slowed down before taking our action. We can run into a lot of issues if we're not correctly evaluating the situation. If we fall into those psychological traps that I mentioned before, where we think we're better, where we think we're going to be more successful, where we don't think there's any possibility of failure, if we don't really push past that, then this evaluation stage is where we're going to run into a lot of issues. And that's why when we enter the evaluation stage, we have to be comfortable with entertaining and diving into some truths that may reveal some of the most vulnerable aspects of who we are, some of our most vulnerable sides. For example... When you sit down and really evaluate what is prompting you to make a certain decision or to act in a certain way, it can reveal some harsh truths about yourself. Not that you're goal-oriented, not that you're outgoing, not that you're charismatic, but some other things like, for example, maybe you're struggling with insecurity. Maybe that's the root cause of you responding or acting in a certain way. And in the evaluation stage, this insecurity can pop up when you really begin to think about and evaluate a situation and say, you know, am I quick to run back to this person in this relationship and give them a second chance because I don't think I can find anyone better? Or am I gossiping about this person or saying terrible and hurtful things because I'm insecure about my own self? For you to actually ask and honestly answer that question will reveal um, a harsh truth about yourself that oftentimes, as psychology shows, we don't want to entertain because we think we're better than others to begin with. 
Or when you think about it in your evaluating certain situations, you know, could it be the uncertainty that's causing you to stress out or to freak out? You know, for example, I don't know what I want to do. So let me just apply to law school or business school and I'll try to figure it out later. Or I don't know what to do, so I'll just do nothing at all. That that big idea around analysis paralysis where you can't make a decision and that stops you from taking any action. So could it be insecurity? Could it be uncertainty that's causing me to stress out or to act in this way? Could it potentially be procrastination? At my gym I go to, I love this quote that they have on the wall. It basically says, why wish for it when you can work for it? And that's what procrastination really is, is wishing versus working for something. I can wish that I will lose 10 pounds, but if I don't want to get in the gym and work for it, it will never come to fruition. I can wish that I'll get that promotion, but if I'm not going above and beyond, if I'm not being a team player, if I'm not highlighting to my manager my successful projects, then it won't happen. I can wish it all that I want, but if I'm not working and actively making it happen, it will never come to fruition. Is the anxiety potentially creeping up because the task seems overwhelming and you're trying to push it off as long as possible? Oh, I'll handle it tomorrow. And tomorrow turns into a week. A week turns into a month. A month turns into a year. And you realize that all this time has gone by and you haven't acted on those goals that you have for yourself. Could it be social media? Did you log on to LinkedIn and see a new job or promotion update from a friend or colleague that has you feeling stuck or like a failure in your current role or at your current company? Or do you see an engagement on Facebook that has you questioning when you'll find someone? Or do you see that exotic trip on Instagram and wish that you could take one yourself? Or could it be mental health? Something that's so taboo and something that we don't talk about. Are you in a slump that seems to linger longer than the normal ups and downs of life? Has mental health become so taboo that you associate seeking help with weakness? Has someone told you that you can just shake it off or snap out of it and that it'll all get better? These are the types of questions you have to ask yourself in the evaluation phase, regardless of the situation, because in answering these questions around, is it uncertainty? Is it insecurity? Is it procrastination? Is it social media? Or is it a mental health issue? Answering those tough questions will put you on the path to effectively evaluate a situation so that when you ultimately do decide to act on it, you can do so with clarity around what's prompting you to act in this way, what's triggering this behavior, and so that you can hopefully make a decision that doesn't lead to regret or heartache, but actually rooted in you centering and understanding who you are and understanding why you're feeling a certain way that you're feeling so that you can respond in a mature way that leaves you feeling better and not worse in the end. And that's really the beauty of slowing down and evaluating things, is that it allows you to better understand what you're grappling with and what are some triggers for you. And though the issues may not magically disappear, so because I say, oh, I'm dealing with insecurity or, oh, I'm dealing with uncertainty, simply acknowledging it won't necessarily allow it to magically disappear, but it does allow you to have a better understanding of why you respond to, to things in the way that you do, and it can help you build up muscle memory to ensure that you have control over your responses and actions as you have an understanding of what it is that bothered you and why it impacted you in the first place. So that's the value in our set framework of first slowing down, really being still, centering yourself so that you can e evaluate the situation ask those difficult questions tap into those complicated and harsh truths that you may have to acknowledge about yourself so that you can then t take action and i think it's so important to highlight this idea of taking action because we sometimes confuse and mess up the take action phase in our lives for example deciding not to take an action can be a valuable action that you take but i often believe that when we think about taking an action we never take that into consideration that if someone is annoying to me my action could be not responding. My response could be to let it go. And I think that we don't really realize that not taking an action, not making a decision is an action in and of itself and one that may be beneficial to us in the long run if we leveraged it more often. So that's the first thing we have to understand about taking action. But then the second thing we have to understand, I think the second mistake that we fall into in this taking action phase is actually something I talked about in a previous episode around the best career advice I've ever received. In that episode, I quoted 
author and Professor Kyle Newport when he talks about how we oftentimes think that, for example, when we're upset with the job, that it's always right to leave the job. But instead, he says, we should focus on picking small bets that can turn into bigger bets. And that's the second big thing I, I want us to remember around the taking action phase. I think that when we slow down and we evaluate the situation and then we proceed to take action, I think that we can sometimes feel compelled to take the most dramatic action possible. Oh, I don't like my job. I'm going to quit. Oh, I am not happy with my significant other right now. Let's end the whole relationship. And sometimes it can feel as if taking those grand dramatic actions, you know, they may feel good in the moment, but they may not be the best course of action going forward. And instead, we need to focus on what Kyle Newport talks about, which I quoted in one of my earlier episodes. It's around maybe taking those smaller bets, those smaller actions that can be just as valuable. And I think that that's important for us to remember uh, that it's not always about taking the most dramatic action. And it's not always about taking an action at all, that there is some value in taking smaller steps. There is some value in not doing anything at all and, and letting it go. We need to really incorporate all those different options into our take action decision-making framework. But then you also need to make sure that you're not so fixated on taking action that you simply jump at the first opportunity that comes your way. And that ties back into that point I was making earlier around this need and this desire to take the most dramatic action. Are you focusing so much on taking that action that you simply go for whatever is first? Oh, I hate my job. Let me take the first offer I get. Oh, this person's annoying. Let me go on a date with the next person that reaches out to me. Oh, I am annoyed with this person. Let me go tell the first person I come into contact with how annoying that person is. No, you don't always have to be so fixated on doing something that you jump for the first person or the first thing that's in front of you. But then additionally, in this take action phase, you have to be careful to make sure that you're not falling into those psychological traps that we talked about in the previous segment. Are you overestimating success? Are you taking into account the potential that you'll actually fail or that this decision will backfire? Are you just assuming that it will always work out, that everything will be fine, that your decision is the wisest decision? Or can you step back and have more maturity and say, you know what? This feels like the right thing to do, but I also have to acknowledge that if I take this action, X, Y, and Z could happen, or I'll get this response, or this will trigger this dramatic reaction, which will make the situation worse. In the take action phase, it's important to have more clarity around the action you're taking, which can only be done by either taking smaller actions that may not be as dramatic, or by really stepping back and evaluating not only the successes of your potential move, but some of the different setbacks and fallbacks that you have to take into account and that you can't overlook in the decision-making process. This is the most significant phase, in my opinion, the take action phase, because this is where people can make the biggest mistakes that have the most severe consequences. And that's why it's important to realize that if you don't slow down, if you don't evaluate the situation, and if you simply act on impulse, you might actually end up in a predicament where your cure to your initial stress or anxiety, which prompted this action in the first place, may ultimately place you in a predicament where you're more stressed out, where you're more confused, and where you still have no answers to help you alleviate uh, some of that stress that you had initially, which you thought this action was going to cure or resolve completely. And so that's why you have to, when making decisions, whether in your career, whether in your personal life, whether in your love life, you have to use the set framework so that you're set up for success in any decision you make, whether big or small. And I guess I'll end this episode with an example of something I'm grappling with right now. I have a love for politics, and I'm also interested in law. And this confusion around do I want to go to law school? Do I want to go to D.C.? This confusion can cause stress and anxiety around trying to figure out what makes the most sense and around putting pressure on myself to make the right decision and to make the right decision as soon as possible. But if I start following this set framework to set myself up for success, then what this means in this example is that I first need to slow down. I need to slow down. I need to really assess why am I getting worried about this? And as I enter the evaluation stage, I have to then dig into some of those deeper truths to say, you know, Paul, why are you so 
stressed or anxious about trying to figure out if law school or a move to D.C. makes the most sense. And then when I begin to dig deeper and evaluate the situation, I can really point to, you know what? It could potentially be uncertainty. I could be prompted to sort of become frustrated because I can't figure out the clear right answer to this question I'm currently grappling with. Or it could be procrastination. Could it be that I'm interested in going to law school and I realize that to get into law school, you have to take the LSAT, a test that I will need to do well on, but a test that I've been procrastinating to study for? Could it be that when I think about the prospect of law school, I get stressed out because I realize that I've been procrastinating around really studying for the LSAT to set myself up for success? Or could it be social media? Did I see a post or an update about someone starting grad school on Facebook, which prompted me to begin to think about this and become fixated on it and become worried and stressed about it? When I enter into the set framework, I can slow down, really evaluate, is it the uncertainty? Is it procrastination? Is it social media that's prompting me to become anxious and stressed out about this? And that can ultimately have an impact on the action I take. Now, if I'm not following the set framework that I've created in this episode, I can ultimately end up in a predicament where I say, you know what? I need to figure out if I want to go to law school, if I want to do politics, and I have to figure this out by, say, November 15th. So I'm giving myself a two-week deadline. In those two weeks, I have to figure out if I'm doing law school or from doing politics. And on the room 15th, I have to make that decision. And regardless of what I choose, I'm just going to run with that. I'm not going to think twice about it. Again, if I'm not following the set framework, I'm falling into that trap of making a very dramatic action item for myself. I'm taking a very dramatic step where I'm saying, if I don't figure this out in this arbitrarily set deadline of November 15th, then I'm a failure. So I have to choose one or the other and run with it and move on. And that's it. If I'm acting on in that way, trying to get over the situation as quickly as possible that I make an impulsive decision to set a deadline for November 15th, that's honestly going to leave me in a more stressed out predicament because when I ultimately choose one or the other on November 15th, I'm going to be making that decision out of desire to remove the stress when I'm actually causing more stress by acting on impulse and by not being more thoughtful about the decision-making process. But if I'm following the set framework, instead of making this dramatic action of saying, oh, I have to make a decision by November 15th, how about I say, you know what, I don't need to make a dramatic action, I can do something smaller oh, I'm interested in law, I'm interested in politics, how about my next small step I take, my next action step phase is to connect with lawyers and people in government to get a better understanding of the day-to-day, to see if I can see myself in those roles and to give me better clarity on what the next step is for me. That can be just as valuable as that dramatic step of trying to choose one or the other, which will ultimately stress me out in the long run. And by taking the smaller step, I can continue taking these smaller actions, which can actually allow me to move further along in the decision-making process and the taking action process than that dramatic deadline of November 15th. And if I take those smaller actions to say, let me connect with a lawyer to learn about their day, or let me connect with someone working in government, it can give me more clarity on some of the preconceived notions that I may have that may be incorrect. For example, if you're going into law school thinking it's going to be like Suits, it's going to be like that show The Good Wife, it's going to be like How to Get Away with Murder, where you're in discovery phase and you find one random piece of paper that implicates the counterparty, you bring that to court, show that to the judge and you win the case. If you're going into it thinking that that's what law is going to be like, you're in for a rude awakening. And so by taking this small action and saying, let me talk with lawyers, I actually can learn those TV shows have it all wrong. Rarely early in your career as a lawyer will you be in a courtroom. Most of your work is going to be in a cubicle, pushing out memos for senior partners. Or you could start building your way into trial law by going to the prosecutor's office or the public defender's office, but understand that the wages are going to be lower, that those roles are more competitive, and that you might be in a predicament where you don't have the bandwidth to defend everyone because resources are continually being cut at public defender's offices around the country. Or if you look at government and you say, oh my gosh, I have this dream of writing legislation and passing this reform and this education bill. And then you talk to government you know, employees and realize, no, if you want to break into politics, you often have to start as a legislative assistant where you're actually 
responding to correspondence and you're writing letters back to constituents. And then you may get promoted to then be allowed to answer the phones and give tours. And then if you're promoted after a couple of years, you'll then be able to work on legislation and policy. But that will take two to three to four years for you to actually get into that sphere and to have that kind of impact. And so that's why there's so much value with respect to this example and taking those small steps. Because in taking the small steps of saying, let me learn more, is not pushing off the decision-making. is actually allowing you to make a decision in a, in a more informed manner. And so while this example may be specific to career, you can apply it to any aspect of your life. If you're in a relationship and someone says something that hurts you or someone does something that hurts you, there may be value in following this set framework of slowing down, evaluating why am I upset? Am I upset because I'm jealous? Am I upset because I don't trust this person? Am I upset because I'm insecure? Am I upset because of X, Y, or Z situation? And then if you have more clarity in that evaluation stage, when you go to take action, instead of acting on impulse and saying the most hurtful thing, maybe you realize that, oh, this response is rooted in insecurity. It may not be wise to say this because it's going to cause more harm than good. The point that I'm trying to make is that in any decision you make, whether big or small, whether in your personal, your love life, or your professional life, this set framework can set you up for your next move. And so I hope that as you live your life, even in this upcoming week, you think about incorporating set into your decision-making process. When you have a coworker that does something that annoys you, when you have a sibling or a relative or a significant other that says something that frustrates you, when you're getting stressed or anxious about a goal that you have for yourself, follow the set framework. Say, slow down, be still, let me evaluate and dig into some harsh truths, and let those harsh truths in that evaluation phase really inform whether I need to take any action at all, whether I need to take a small action, or whether I need to take a direct, dramatic action to put me in a place where I'm set up for success going forward. It's not new. It's not a novel idea. It's common sense that I try to put into a cool acronym of SET that I hope you all will use to allow you to manage those interpersonal relationships going forward. Thanks again for tuning in to the 26th official episode of The Riley Rant. Remember, if it's Sunday, it's time to rant. If it's Sunday, it's The Riley Rant.